0: Hello there, welcome to a landmark episode of Shattered Lives, the STARS podcast series focusing on the murder trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch. The trial concluded earlier today after 13 fascinating weeks. Mr Hutch, who denies the 2016 murder of Kinnan Associate David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel, will now learn his fate on the 17th of April. That's when the three judges of the non-jury special criminal court will return their judgment in the case against him. They will also return their verdicts against co-accused Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, who deny facilitating the murder by providing cars for the gang involved. Neither is charged with murder. I'm crime correspondent Michael O'Toole, and joining me now is Chief Reporter Paul Healy.
1: Hello, Mr. Healy. Hello. Uh, we've come to the end at last. How are you feeling? Yeah, I uh, have mixed feelings. I mean, I, I've really enjoyed covering this trial, so in, in a way it's... Uh so an unusual, a uh, strange sense that I I feel a bit sad that it's over. But um, look, professionally speaking, <laughs> I'm doing a job. Um, yeah, in a, in a, in another sense, I'm I'm kind of relieved. It's it's been a long thirteen uh, week trial. Um, so you know we've had our ups and downs and twists and turns in this case, but um, we we've come to the end now after after thirteen long weeks.
0: So today we're going to talk about today's last was obviously the last day in the case we're going to talk about how it ended today might do some reflections or some bit of colour at the end and I think we're going to have another pod with questions and answers so there's still time if anybody wants to ask we've we've got some really excellent questions um, but if anybody wants to ask us any other questions feel free you can drop me or Healy or Kieran Bradley uh, DMs or you can do it if you want to do it publicly on Twitter there's no problem the more the merrier. But I might just say one very, very quick thing. Some people—I don't know about you, Paul or Kieran—but some people are asking me how I think it's going to go, and they're asking me to make predictions. I just want to say, for me, I'm not going to go down that road, and I'm going to tell you why. Firstly, without uh, you know, it's obviously up to the judges. But secondly, I've no problem making predictions about football about who's going to win the you know the Premier League. Obviously, Man City. But I'm not going to make predictions about a man's life, and this is a man's life. It's actually three men's lives, so I won't be. It's you know I I just don't think it's it's you know people can talk privately and whatever but I certainly won't be making any predictions because it's 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 the the three lives of those men so I just wanted to get that out of the way and everybody can have their own thoughts on how it's going to go I have my own thoughts about how it's going to go but I'm not going to
1: I'm not going to go down that road
0: anyway Paul so how did it kick off today
1: yeah, sorry. Just to your point, I, I feel the same way, and I think I think I've said this before that uh, people might be surprised to hear us say this, but our opinions don't really matter on what what we think the verdict might be. Uh, we can give you our analysis and um, you know report on what we heard in court, but really our opinion on what the verdict is it doesn't really matter. Uh, and ultimately, as journalists, we're not really uh, supposed to take a position. Uh, in any sense, um, so w- people might get frustrated why we're not answering that question, but that's the reason why.
0: Yeah, and also just on another point, like I mean, I, I long ago gave up trying to read how court cases were going to go because I've tried on several occasions, and you know I've got it spectacularly wrong. So there are lots of reasons why I don't really feel comfortable about doing predictions. So anyway, I think we're, Paul and I
1: are in agreement on that one. Yeah, no. To answer so to answer your question, how things went today, I mean, look uh, the headline really is that the trial has come to an end. Um, at the very end of proceedings today, uh, Miss Justice Tara Burns um, went off with the two other judges and came back and gave us a date uh, in which a verdict will be delivered in this trial uh, at the latest. So that date is the 17th of April of this year. So by the... Se- oh. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, that's
0: interesting. She, she said, so it's, it's so because I was wondering, is this something of a movable, movable feast? So it's that's the latest date that the court at this stage say that they will have a verdict.
1: Yes. Um, uh, Miss Justice Tara Burns did say that um, in the event where they come up with a verdict prior to that date, they will notify the court. Uh, however uh, she said that that was she didn't expect that to be the case so the date that they have set is the 17th of April and I would imagine that is the date in which we'll get the verdict uh, by some chance <laughs> um, that they managed to trawl through all of the evidence in this case prior to then and come to a verdict there will be another date set uh, But but by the very latest we will know by the 17th of April, uh, what the verdict is in this case in relation to all three men.
0: And that's just under three months. I know we spoke about this before and, you know, I was I was thinking it was going to be the middle of March and it was basing the Freddie Thompson uh, verdict on that, which was two months. And I suppose in hindsight, you know, the Freddie Thompson case was really one man. There are three, effectively three cases rolled into one. So it stands to reason that it will take a bit longer.
1: Yeah, it's also interesting that it's it's almost the exact length that this case took that that the judges now have to consider uh, the case. <laughs> about 13 weeks. It's it's uh, this trial in total was 52 days. 52 days, 13 weeks. Um as a, a huge length of time you know, we've gone through hours of cctv evidence uh, 10 hours of tapes we've gone through multiple witnesses we've gone through maps and then we went through jonathan dowdall and the cross-examination of jonathan dowdall uh it's a huge huge case so they have a lot to consider as we've said um in terms of today yesterday first of all uh we we discussed in great detail where the were the final uh speeches in relation to the prosecution in the case and the final speeches in relation to uh um, Brendan Graham, Senior Counsel, defending Mr. Hutch. So today we had Paul Murphy's defence and we had Jason Bonney's defence. So Bernard Condon and John Fitzgerald gave their closing speeches in this case. And that's what took up uh, the majority of today. What surprised me is that we went right through lunch we didn't take any break. Um, it seemed <laughs> everyone uh, involved was quite eager to uh, to come to a close on this case. So um, when we heard from John Fitzgerald, we went straight into Bernard Condon's evidence following that. And he followed right through 1 p.m., right through post 2 p.m. Uh, with his speech. And, and, and then we finished up... Uh, Shortly after that,
0: just let me ask you Paul we know yesterday you were saying that Miss Murphy for the prosecution her speech her closing speech was about an hour uh, Brendan Graham for Jerry Hutch was about two hours what was the time frame for these two today were they were they longer or
1: I think Mr. Fitzgerald was uh, around about an hour, and uh, this is from my recollection, and then um, Bernard Condon was about an hour, 20 minutes or so, so just over an hour for Bernard Condon. Um, I'm not going to go into great detail because we have examined a lot of this uh, at length on this podcast, but I will just try to summarize both of uh, their speeches. and when it comes to John Fitzgerald for Jason Bonnie, um, his argument is really quite simple. Uh, he says on the face of it, the evidence in the case, if anything, supports his client's account, not the states. Um, and Jason Bonney is accused of using his BMW X5 to help the Regency hit team escape. And specifically, it was said by the prosecution that flat cap, uh, that is Kevin Murray, was the person who got into the BMW X5 and is seen doing so on the CCTV footage at St. Vincent's GA. So Jason Bonney is specifically accused of helping Kevin Murray escape from the Regency Hotel. And Mr. Fitzgerald's evidence is basically that Jason Bonney is not picked up on CCTV anywhere other than on his home. Uh, at his home in Drimnai Wood uh, that morning. And then subsequent to that, the footage uh, pertaining to the movements of the vehicle, there is no proof whatsoever from the state that Jason Bonney is the person behind the wheel. He's not seen at St. Vincent's GAA, at Buckingham Village, in any of the other spots. And he says that uh, the CCTV evidence and the phone evidence supports his account that he went to Newbrook Avenue which is where the home that Jason Bonney says was being renovated is located in Donahmead. And that is where he remained for the rest of the day. Um, and we've heard from, uh, from uh, Miss McGlynn, uh, who was the alibi witness for Jason Bonney. She said, uh, which I don't propose to go into great detail again, but she said that she had seen Willie Bonney, Jason Bonney's father, getting into the BMW X5 after Jason had come uh, that morning in the Jeep. There was a swap over, and then uh, she saw Jason Bonnie go across to this house that was being worked on on Newbrook Avenue, and then subsequently she saw him again and asked him to move a truck around 2.45pm. So that's in and around the time period where uh, Mr. Bonnie is supposed to be in the Vincent's GAA area. Uh, GAA area according to the prosecution and yet uh, this witness said uh, could place him at Newbrook Avenue and in his uh, summary in his closing speech today Mr Fitzgerald is basically saying that the CCTV evidence and the phone evidence corroborates that account in that uh, there, there is a time period in which the vehicle is seen going in the direction of Newbrook Avenue and takes a route Uh, towards Newbrook Avenue and if this was a person who was involved in a sophisticated organised operation why did he direct uh, why did he divert sorry from the direct route that that he could have taken from his home in Port Marnock uh, all the way into the city centre that day and he surmises that the evidence clearly shows that uh, that that this backs up his account that there was a swap in driver and that Willie Bonney Jason Bonney's father was the person driving the BMW X5. And when it comes to this witness, Paul Byrne, the brother-in-law of Jason Bonney, he says that, in terms of who do you believe, right? So Miss McGlynn, she says she can remember clearly the 5th of February because it was her child's 13th birthday and she was arranging a party in the house at that point in time when Jason Bonney and his father called. She can also remember... Um, three weeks later uh, that Jason Bonney's mother called to her mother's address upset and asking what happened that day uh, and asking for her account of what happened that day because there had been a massive row between father and son and then in terms of Paul Byrne's account he claimed that he could remember spending the entire day with Willie Bonney and that Willie Bonney never left his home and that he spent time having lunch with him and uh, that the BMW X5, he never saw him drive that vehicle or that a vehicle ever be associated with Jason Bonney's father, Willie. Um, and his recollection in relation to that was he put it down to if you can remember where you were on 9 11, he could remember where he was that day on the 5th of February. And essentially, Mr. Fitzgerald was arguing that. Um, Miss McGlynn's argument was more believable. Uh, She had more of a reason to remember the events that day in terms of her child's birthday and in terms of only three weeks later, she was then asked to recount the events again. Uh, So this was something that would have stuck in her mind more clearly. And in terms of why she didn't come forward uh, sooner, well, he said, well, what person would want to put themselves on the stand in this case, put themselves forward and put themselves under scrutiny and ultimately have their face in the newspaper? Um, and and he says her her account effectively stands the test of time and is more believable uh, than Mr. Burns.
0: There is some credibility. There is credibility to that because look, you know, and I were we're now talking in two thousand and three, but this was February, March two thousand and sixteen, and you and I covered it, the height of the feud, and things were not only tense but extremely frightening for an awful lot of people we know. Uh, wasn't mr Bonnie who, who got a, a gam form um you know this this was really really heavy time
1: yes uh, sorry february 2016 yeah but uh, but you're right uh, nonetheless february march it was a, an extremely heavy time and that's another thing that was raised um you know in terms of jason bonney's original interview with gardie as to why he lied to them and effectively didn't tell them the true story uh as he puts it, that his father was the one driving the BMW because he told the guards that he was the one driving the BMW in an interview. Um, And basically, Mr Fitzgerald's argument was that at this point in time, Jason Bonney was in fear for his own life and for his family's safety. And irregardless of any dispute or feud between him and his father, he wasn't going to put his own father in danger. Um, and in, in not only in danger in terms of his life but also in terms of his freedom uh, and to, to ultimately maybe have him connected to this Regency Hotel incident and that is why maybe he covered for his father at that point in time is his argument. His father is now dead and who, as we've said, can't defend himself. Um, so his argument now is uh, that his dad was driving the BMW um, but at the time when he spoke to Gardy, he wasn't willing to say that. And so Mr Fitzgerald is saying um, that Mr. Bonny's argument is far more believable than the allegation by the state uh, that he was the one behind the wheel. As he says, there's only the CCTV footage of Jason Bonney at his home in Drumnoy Wood. And nothing else supports the account that he was the one with the BMW by the time it got to Vincent's GAA and picked up Kevin Murray.
0: And do you remember, sorry Paul, do you remember, I, I remember is the year I wrote the story, that, you know, firstly, it's the Kinehan cartel who are, what you might say, on the other side of the Hutch crime gang, shall we say, right? But I remember quite clearly being told that the Kinehans were going after anybody that they believed was connected to this. and Ancillary, you know, 20 people, 30 people who they, they had in their sights. So, you know, it was, I mean, I can't stress this enough, it was a very, very dangerous time for anybody whose name cropped up in this
1: yeah and i suppose that is reflected in terms of jason bonnie uh his allegation um through mr fitzgerald that he was concerned for his safety and his family's safety his son had gone off to australia and he'd indicated that he was going to have to move off as well um and he did he miss. he didn't trust the guards he felt that as a result of his vehicle being taking taken that he had gotten this gym form um uh, look you can form an opinion on that but that is mr bonnie Uh, Mr. Bonnie's opinion that as a result of the vehicle being seized from him and his reputation in the community being damaged that he got this threat to his life Um, and so at this point in time Mr. Fitzgerald argues that his client was not willing to tell the guards the full truth uh, which is that his father was the one driving the BMW not him then when it comes to Paul Murphy um, essentially Bernard Condon's argument is in a nutshell that none of the CCTV footage shown in the case proves that his client was the one in the taxi, the silver uh, Avenza's taxi at St. Vincent's GAA Club at the Donny Carney Church in any of the crucial crucial, uh, locations at Buckingham Village as well. So Buckingham Village is the alleged meet-up spot of the convoy of six vehicles involved, including the van Um, and they are seen leaving Buckingham Village and going in the direction uh, towards Donny Carney Church and ultimately at the Vincent's GAA at 2.41pm when the gang run through the alleyway and get into the vehicles. And he says that at no point in any of the footage is Paul Murphy seen, uh, identified, let alone his taxi. Uh, And he says that the footage is... Uh, is not good quality, it's not in HD, it's in black and white. The weather, uh, oftentimes it was raining, which made the footage worse. Um, The prosecution regularly argued that Mr. Murphy's vehicle is identifiable by the wheels, by the tires, by um, stickers in the window. Um, But Mr. Condon argued that you can't really make any inferences and it could be any silver taxi. And that, you know, plenty of cars have stickers, and that the the reg plate is not clear, and the even the color of the vehicle is not clear. Um, in relation to Paul Murphy, he admits, uh, and it and 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 allegedly admitted before footage was even shown to him that he was at the Maxall Garage nearby that day, that he went in and uh, got a sandwich for himself in the newspaper, and then subsequently at the Beachcomber. So Mr. Murphy admits that he was at the Maxwell garage and the Beachcomber and he is seen on CCTV footage in those places and identified himself on the CCTV footage in those places. But 19 minutes later when he gets up to Donny Carney, when this vehicle gets up to the allegedly gets up to Donny Carney Church and up to the Vincent's GAA. Uh, Mr. Connan is essentially arguing that the vehicle and Mr. Murphy are not identifiable. It could be any taxi, it could be any vehicle. And also he said the allegation that these vehicles travelled in a convoy of six was never really proven. He said it might sound nice uh, um, and it might give someone a dopamine hit that they have uh, cracked the case, so to speak, and said that these six vehicles travelling in line are traveling in an organized convoy, but he says that that case has never been proven. Um, in relation to the key card, I thought this was interesting. So there's a key card that was found in Mr. Murphy's vehicle, which uh, opens the gates at the Buckingham village where these vehicles all met up. And it is only a digit away from another key card that was found in the home of Patsy Hutch. And Mr. Connaughton didn't spend a whole lot of time on this other than to say uh, that there might have been a relationship between uh, Paul Murphy and Patsy Hutch. And uh, I think the suggestion was that Paul Murphy might have driven Patsy Hutch from time to time, might have done jobs with Patsy, Patsy Hutch. And he suggested that any number of possibilities are possible, including that Patsy Hutch himself might have been the one who dropped or left that key card in the vehicle. Uh, he says it just, just doesn't definitively prove that Paul Murphy uh, was the owner of this key card. So that is effectively his case. It, it's, it's that I mean, the case against Paul Murphy is the CCTV footage. And he says that the CCTV footage just doesn't show, doesn't identify for absolute certainty uh, Paul Murphy's taxi in the places that, that it's supposed to be to prove the case against him, which is the Vincent's GAA Club, uh, the Donny Carney Church, Uh, buckingham village um and and so he rests his case on that in that there are plenty of suggestions here um but but none of it adds up to beyond a reasonable doubt that his client is guilty That was that. Yeah. I mean uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's it was anticlimactic. I mean, I you you think these things are going to go in a certain order. I mean, I think we might have maybe expected that Brendan Grehan uh would have been the final speaker. It the the order in which it went is the order in which it went you have to remember three people are on trial here obviously in terms of look let's say public interest people are interested primarily in the trial of jerry hutch the trial of jerry hutch effectively ended yesterday that's the truth these two other men they are charged alongside mr hutch and and i think their case is quite fascinating it's worth talking about i've spent a bit of time talking about it here but um in that sense maybe i'm anticlimactic in terms of jerry hutch uh, the trial against jerry hutch is over but uh, it was interesting to then discover towards the end of the day, um, that all important date, uh, when the verdict will be read out, and I think what's interesting about that we we only it only uh, came to light when we uh, put it into context that we realised that Jerry Hutch is yet to celebrate his 60th birthday, and in looking up when his birthday is, it's on the 12th of April, so five days before he's going to learn his fate as to whether he'll spend the rest of his life effectively in prison or whether uh, he will be found not guilty, um, the, you know, five days after his 60th birthday.
0: And, and, and also it's remarkable that it's seven and a bit years since the Regency. And the time has flown, but it feels like yesterday. So many things have happened and it, it, it has taken up so much of our pro- professional lives. I mean, I know Mr Condon was talking about the, the bad weather on the day of the Regency. I remember that because I was stuck outside the Regency for several hours and I was absolutely bucketing. But I even I remember I was driving into work and I got a call from Des Gibson, our then editor, saying to me, Now this I was starting on the late, so it was at half two, so it was I mean maybe it was I was late because of the the weather and the rain. And he he was saying to me, Did you hear anything about a mass shooting in the Regency? And I went, No. And then that was that for I was gonna say that was that for the rest of the day, but that was that for four years. So I, I remember, I, you know, it's it's, it's funny, uh, Miss McGlynn talking about do you remember, or was it Mr. Burns saying do you remember where you were when the Twin Towers happened at all? I completely remember where I was when I heard about the Regency for the first time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I was relatively new to the star. In my case, I started in the star in September of 2015. It wasn't long after that that Gary Hutch was shot. Um, I... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, as a young cob co- reporter, that it really dawned on me until a couple of months into twenty sixteen. You know, um, just the scale of this feud and, you know, uh, the unprecedented nature of it, and and from my ex- perspective, just in terms of as a journalist trying to uh, learn the ropes, so to speak, uh, I was thrown in the deep end because. Uh, you know, we we started uh, attending murder scenes, uh, gangland murder scenes. Um, and one that really uh, struck out uh, to me still kind of lives in my memory. Is is that year was is the murder of Martin O'Rourke? Uh, he was an innocent homeless man, and I remember we learned of his murder on Sheriff Street, and it wasn't too far away from our office. And uh, myself and a photographer got down there and. At the time that we actually got down there, uh, the guards hadn't even arrived yet. The body was still lying on the street. Um, and I'll never forget that because that that is just the stark nature of this whole feud. And, and, and it really hit home uh, from that point on. Like the, the, I mean, the unprecedented nature of it and the shocking nature of this. I mean, 18 people were murdered in total. Uh, as you say, you remember the day of the Regency. I remember you being you being out of the office, and I can remember three days later when Eddie Hutch was murdered, and I remember you going into uh, the editor and um, the in the initial couple of seconds and minutes that it had happened, and there was speculation. Tell me if I'm wrong you know, when a murder just happens of this nature, a high profile uh, right after the Regency, you don't really know all the facts straight away. And I think think there was a fear that actually Jerry Hutch had been murdered and it was initially that was the, Jerry Hutch has been murdered. And then the realisation dawned, no, it's a relative, no, it's his brother, it's Eddie Hutch. You hadn't really heard of Eddie Hutch prior to this. And then you were trying to find a photograph of Eddie Hutch you learned he was a taxi man and through your sources and your information you were able to obtain a photograph of, of Eddie Hutch the first photograph of Eddie Hutch Um God it's just when you think back on it like it seems like yesterday but it's mad Do
0: you know what they, they all stick out for me and I, 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 I will say that um, as soon as Gary Hutch was murdered I knew this is really heavy right I knew this is gonna be really really bad and I always remember after just before eddie hutch was murdered i have done uh, on the monday i went on sean work on rte uh, so this was so this was on the monday after the regency and the friday and i'm done to work and i said sean this is going to be absolutely shocking it's going to be a horrific gangland war and it's brutal and about he was shot at just after i think it was eight o'clock so maybe 12 hours uh, 10 hours later he was shot dead, but but you're right. I mean, I know. I remember the Martin O'Rourke one. That was that was really shocking. Um, one that stands out for me. They all stand out for me, but the one that I think about a lot is the murder of Gareth Hutch. So that was in May, 2017, and the reason that what it's sort of similar to what you were saying about getting there first. I was driving in, I think it was on somewhere around North Strand, and I heard the sirens. And I always remember it was a, a DFB a double fabricate paramedic jeep, and it flew past me and it turned right onto uh, to heading up towards Summerhill, uh, you know that that street there, uh, beside between Sean McDermott Street and Summerhill, um, and uh, I went uh, no not oh, I, I forgot the name it'll come back to me, um, uh, and I went oh my god something's happened and then my phone started pinging. That had been a murder. Then they thought it was Gareth Hutch so it was at Avondale House, which is just—it's about five minutes walk from our office. So we, I got—I got there very I diverted and got there very quickly. And you know what stayed with me to this day? So this was about, you know, five or ten minutes after the murder, and there were maybe two hundred people out in the street, right, and just a complete silence. Nobody was talking. Everybody was just and 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 you would think that in something like this to be roaring and screaming and you know panic and everything. It was the silence, and that silence has stayed with me. It was eerie.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exact same in the case of Martin O'Rourke, as I said, uh, the guards hadn't arrived. The body was still in the street, and there wasn't a single soul around. Um, yeah, that does stick with you in terms of, and it's in a way this trial and t- today was the culmination uh of of much of that. I mean obviously that the doesn't mean the feud is over, but we've come to a, a a certain end point. Um I mean the last 7 years have just been relentless. Uh in in terms of this, I mean and, and the the story is not over. Um the Kinahans are still at large um and there are plenty of investigations in relation to them and it's just the story that that Keeps on going, but um, I don't think I think I think maybe what we're trying to say is that we didn't really realize uh, as journalists what we were getting into, um, when this all kicked off, and that we would be here seven years later talking about the monk on trial. And
0: we'll probably be talking about this in at least five years because you know, th- this 2023, I consider. Probably more likely than last year is the year that they, that international law enforcement or, or whatever gets Daniel Kinn in. Uh, you know, I think he's probably under more pressure now. So, you know, if you thought the, the Hutch trial would be big, can you imagine if, as I suspect what will happen, they bring him over to the US and he's in an orange jumpsuit over there. So, uh, you know, that'll be one hell of a trial if it happens, which I think it will. So... Uh, it's been fascinating, really, really fascinating. And, and uh, that's another point about this. You know, this trial has been about, or this pod has been about the trial. But Paul and Anne, Kieran are very keen to develop the pod and keep it going. So we're gonna, I think we're gonna start doing a sort of general podcast. But that's something we'll be talking about in the coming weeks.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll obviously have a sit down and a talk and a think about it. But uh, I, I think we want to say that we've been very appreciative of the audience that we have gathered and the people that have been listening and and we're, we're going to have a think about um talking about these subjects uh long into the future um but in terms of the trial yeah i mean this is it we're, we're done talking about it effectively we might do A, Q&A, um but uh and we'll obviously do one when the verdict comes but um just uh can't from my perspective and i'm sure you'll say the same i, I can't express my gratitude enough uh, and thanks to the people that have been listening so Thank you.
0: Yes, and and, what, and people have been very kind about the pod. And one thing that I take great pride in, apart from how well it's going, is that people, a lot of people have said to me, I don't know if they've said this to you, Paul or Kieran, but they've said how uh, sort of happy they've been that we have been straight down the line and impartial. And we're not taking sides and we're trying to be fair to everybody and we're just doing our job, saying what we see and we're not coming at it from any, you know, Sort of perspective. It is what it is. And that's what we have, we have really striven to do. I mean, I've been a court reporter for a very, very, very long time. And that's one of my tenets that you just do what is said in court. And we've been lucky that this is a special criminal court so we can contextualize things and we can, you know, explain things and, you know, go up, off go up script a bit. But it's extremely important to me and Paul and Kieran that we remain impartial and we show our impartiality. And that's what we have tried to do the whole time.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so
0: we're going to do a Q&A at another date. Uh, we'll have that up as soon as we can. So we still have questions. We still want to hear questions from anybody who wants to ask us anything. But just don't ask us to predict because we're not going to be doing that. But uh, thanks for listening. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I want to thank Paul for his st- unstinting work in the court. I know what it's like to cover court cases like this. I filled in for him for a few days, but he was fantastic. Before Paul goes, I just want to, I, I spent the day doing a bit of stat work and I just want to tell people about this. Um, people are asking about the, the, the Special Criminal Court. I just think this people might be interested in this. I went and looked at conviction statistics for the this, this Special Criminal Court between 2020 and 20, uh, 2016. 2020 is the last available year from the DPP's report. So the conviction rate in 2020 was 100%. There were eight cases. The conviction rate In 2019, there were 10 cases and that was 90%. The conviction rate in 2018 had 21 cases and it was 100% conviction. The conviction rate in 2017 had 20 cases and 100% conviction. And the conviction rate in 2016, there were 29 cases and the conviction rate was 90%. Well,
1: we'll leave it there. I think we better. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that's extraordinary. Extraordinary. But there you go.